Welcome to the University of Washington's Political Economy Forum. We bring together diverse scholars, policymakers, and citizens to discuss current public policy issues, to inform the public about them, and to find evidence-based solutions. Feel free to visit our website at uwpoliticaleconomy.com. We publish new episodes of this podcast every week. If you have questions or suggestions for discussion topics, please contact us on Twitter at ForumUW or email us at uwpoliticaleconomy at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Hello, everyone. My name is Nicholas Wittstock. I'm a fellow at the Forum. Today I'm speaking to Dr. Ralph Martin, who is an economist at Imperial College London Business School, and we discussed two recent papers that he wrote with co-authors pertaining to the economics of clean energy innovation and the UK's innovation strategy for a post-COVID recovery that will focus more on renewable energy. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hello, Rolf Martin. Hello, Nicholas. Today, we will discuss uh, two recent papers of yours, that is, uh, papers of yours together with co-authors. The first paper investigates the effect of public environmental attitudes on clean innovation or clean energy innovation. And uh, the other looks forward and proposes an innovation strategy for the UK's post-COVID recovery. So let's start with the first paper. You find empirically that environmental attitudes can drive company innovation behavior. How does this work exactly? Well, um, people people have attitudes. Attitudes <laughs> change. <laughs> And I, I mean, you know, how, how does it work? Maybe the, the interesting thing about the paper is that people wouldn't find it entirely surprising that right. you know, companies do what um, what their customers want in a way. I, I mean, the interesting thing here is that it's about, of course, this you know, and this happens if people want to drive fast cars or heavy SUVs, then the, then the companies will produce them. But the interesting thing here that this also applies to something which is not necessarily about your driving experience, but about the, the environmental impact and the externality, mm-hmm. as, as, you know, as economists call it, of, of your driving. And you know, the conventional wisdom there is that, well, unless you have uh, governments intervening, that you, then you don't really would expect uh, that uh, consumers are driving this with their attitudes alone, because mm-hmm. you know, why would, should I buy a clean car? which is potentially more expensive and, you know, not as powerful or I have all sorts of range anxiety or whatever. Um, why should I do this if I cannot be sure that my horrible neighbor is also doing it? Because if mm-hmm, I only mm-hmm. do it, you know, I still breathe in the pollution of everybody else and I have the extra cost. But what we find there is that there seems to be this direct link between the attitudes people have and, and what companies are doing. And, uh, and uh, you know, what, what is driving the, the broad direction of technological progress. And actually, I mean, I think the, the, the nicest way to think about it is, is to think, well, take an example, right? Uh, so, I mean, of course, one of the most famous car companies these days is, is Tesla. Of course, Tesla is responding to some extent to policies. I mean, in fact, I think they have famously been profitable for the first time recently. And by and large, they, they are profitable not from selling cars, but from selling permits uh, to other companies, car companies who don't have very clean, a clean vehicle fleet. But notwithstanding that, I mean, the, the initial business model of Tesla was that they, um, that they responded to billionaires in, in, in California wanting to have a cool vehicle. And I mean, why, why did the billionaires want this vehicle? Well, clearly it was very cool. 
but you know there are cool uh, sp other sports cars around. Uh, mm -hmm. They also have, you know, of course, forward-looking, and they they know that we need to do something about climate change. So they have that value in addition to one, you know, wanting a, a fast car and being able to pay for it. So that was their initial sort of business model, and it's to some extent still the, still the business model. And this is entirely driven by consumer preferences. That you know, especially at the time and and still today. I mean, the U.S. is kind of lagging when it comes to say carbon taxes or fuel prices, fuel taxes, and these kind of things. Um, so this was not primarily driven by um, by by the government, by but by the preferences. And so uh, you know, you might say, well, you know, fine, yes, Tesla has this business model, but does it matter for mm -hmm. for the economy as a whole? Uh, you know, does it matter for? I mean, we have seen an explosion in in clean technology innovation in the last twenty years or so. So you know, and clearly a lot of this might is driven by certain policies. But what we what we argue, it's also driven. Quite directly by the by the changes in, in in attitudes and preferences of people. Right, and how strong is this effect? Uh, well, what what we argue is, and what we find, it's kind of comparable, you know, to in in the order of magnitude. What you would think from the next best policy, in a way, is to raise uh, fuel taxes. So we, we find that, uh, um, of course, it, it's very hard to compare. You know, if, mm -hmm. I mean, but we but we're basically looking at right that that is our raw data questions, qualitative questions where people are asked every couple of years around the world in a consistent way. So how important is the environment to you? Would you pay an extra markup on, on, on your price for an environmental product? And you know, thousands of people are asked these kind of questions through time. And that is the raw data. So how, how do you compare what people answer there to the government increase the carbon price by Ten percent, fifteen percent, or something like that. But what we are, what we are seeing, first of all, what we, what we see, uh, you know, in the period from the nineteen nineties to two thousand, the early two thousand, two thousand ten, which was quite surprising to me actually, is that overall, on average, around the world, poor environmental preferences have declined. Not everywhere. Hmm, yeah. Sometimes they went up, and, and sometimes it went up, went down more, and in other places. But overall, it has declined. So that, that is our raw data. And what we're looking at, uh, we do a number of sort of, uh, you know, counterfactual thought experiments, but we, we're looking at the average decline over that period. We say, okay, if this would reverse, you know, right. if you could reverse that average decline, uh, how big, or if you couldn't reverse it, but if you would want to replace that with uh, sort of a, a price increase, you know, we, we know companies respond to, to fuel prices as well when it comes to, to clean, clean cars. Uh, so it would be around uh, 15 to 20%. I mean, it depends a bit on our specification. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, we have seen, uh, I don't know if, if people in the US are so aware about, uh, about this, but, you know, we have seen uh, riots in, in, in Europe about mm -hmm. rather modest increases yeah. uh, of, of fuel taxes and fuel prices. I mean, most, most recently, in France, the Gilets Jaunes movement, you know, which mm -hmm. brought France to to still stand for 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 many weeks, um, they that was sparked by the government proposing a rather modest and and even revenue neutral uh, carbon tax. And so, you know, we argue well, if it if it's so hard to increase the prices, you know, maybe you can achieve something similar if you if you worry about where where the attitudes come from and if you can change attitudes of people. Of course, the, the million dollar question is how can you change the attitudes? But right. I think uh, what, what we say is, look, uh, economists spend spend a lot of time, you know, worrying about what is the optimal 
carbon tax, how much should it be? But there, there's relatively little worry about, well, actually, you know, it might be efficient from an economic point of view, but it's politically absolutely toxic and nobody will touch it. Mm. And, um, and, and maybe there are other things you can do and it's not pointless, you know, to, uh, to to think about maybe how these values form and 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 maybe start a campaign to to or to, to to induce people to change their attitudes. This paper is especially interesting in the context of a lot of activists or even just casual observers of this climate debate getting the impression that it's really a trade-off between you know further economic growth or decarbonization or more clean technologies, whereas, and that then leads to, uh, you know, very extreme um, proposals of um, enormously high carbon taxes or, um, you know, proposals like we, we, it's literally unsustainable to drive cars in any capacity, for example. Whereas your paper is saying, you know what, if we have this preference for cleaner technologies, then companies are going to provide um, clean alternatives. Now, that's obviously an extremely optimistic take. On the other hand, you alluded to this. I'm worrying about, well, those trends might reverse. This might be a one-off. It might be the case that you know, environmental technology has been somewhat of an emerging market. And now there are some suppliers that are able to provide those kinds of products, like Tesla, for example. But you know, is this market going to become big enough? Is it going, is, does it have enough growth potential? Is there potentially like a, um, a bottoming out of the um, demand for those kinds of technologies? What's your, what's your take on that? Well, no, absolutely not. I mean, the electric cars will be coming. It's just, it's just mm. a matter, you know, how fast and, and, uh, well, you know, the electric car alone is not enough. Right. Mm-hmm. So we need to generate the electricity in a clean way. But of course, you know, their electric cars also have an uh, incredible potential in terms of solving one of the biggest problems or helping to solve at least uh, one of the biggest problems, which is the intermittency of many renewable technologies. So you, you have to think it as a whole system where mm-hmm. electric cars can form a lot of the buffer of that. But, but generally speaking, I mean, I mean, many European countries have now committed to phase out petrol-driven cars entirely. I mean, at least new sales of them by dates on the top of my head, but something like 2040 or sometimes even earlier. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so this is clearly happening. And I mean, there, there have, has, have been huge improvements in, in battery technology and, and, and all the rest of it. And at, at, the, at the end of the day, I mean, uh, I have now an electric car myself and I never want to go back. And forget about the environment. It's just so much nicer to drive, so much nicer. So there, there, are other, there are other aspects of it. So I don't think that there, there, there's any going back. I mean, I think what will happen, of course, is, is that we will face new issues. You know, I mean, uh, batteries are not exactly uh, non-toxic. Right. <laughs> and then, of course, we, at, at least current technologies, we, we, we rec- uh, require resources, which, which mm-hmm. are scarce. So that, all of that can cause new problems. But again, you know, I think uh, there are already a number of technologies might be able to address this and improve also the performance of batteries. So I don't think uh, this is bottoming out anytime soon. But of course, you know, we we rather have it faster because we are in a, mm-hmm. in a, in a race to, to re- reduce emissions and traffic is a major component of that. As you say, uh, increasing the number of electric vehicles isn't sufficient. And especially in the automobile market, Europe and the US 
may be declining in importance. You know, there's increasing demand from Chinese and also Indian customers. Do you think that demand driven by those markets might potentially have an offsetting effect? Well, I mean, everything that concerns climate change is basically decided in China in one way or another. <laughs> But I mean, and 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 India, you know, um, I mean, they have done done a lot. I mean, yeah, they, they have been blocking any any progress towards uh, addressing climate change for for a number of years. But that has, I mean, over the last 10 years, this this has turned entirely. I mean. Uh, I mean, they have. I mean, they have famously now. Now, you know, uh, solar panel innovation is is basically driven by by investments and, and funding mm -hmm. uh, and, and policies of the, um, of the of the Chinese government. And and I think uh, you know the same will be true of cars. I mean, they have companies that uh, that develop these vehicles as well, and 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 they're increasingly pushing pushing the innovation frontier in in these technologies you know so yeah why well, that's not a guarantee and, and i mean i think what i want to speak but we arguing it shouldn't be uh, any excuse not to introduce carbon taxes or, or, or policies of course this would be the you know the best solution to and also the most economically efficient solution to to tax pollution you know and, and to make sure that even people who don't care about it will have the right incentives and uh, and uh, and also sort of the whole system i mean often it's very hard to figure out what what is the right way what should you do so if you can rely on the price signal that is in principle something something good right mm -hmm. you don't have to get all the data you just have to make sure that at every step Uh, you know the the externalities are somehow priced in. So, so as much as we can do that, uh, if there's room, and of course you know we we made progress. Yeah, there's there's a lot of carbon pricing going on in the EU. I mean, I think the the new administration in um, in the US might be more open to this kind of stuff as well. So wherever we have an opening, let, let's try to do it. And as as a sort of policy goal, you know, worldwide and in ongoing negotiations at the UN or whatever, you know, it's it's um, it, it, it's a good thing to focus on policy but what we're saying is like okay you don't don't get too depressed if policy doesn't move as as quickly as uh, as we might hope uh, and uh, and maybe sometimes there are alternatives i mean i think this is for to me this came really as a surprise you know before we started this i was i really thought well you know these these environmental attitudes don't move a lot and but they they seem to be moving i mean the mm -hmm. preferences change you know we I mean, we see societies change on, on other things, right? So gay marriage and right. all, all sorts of things, right? Attitudes change uh, often, <laughs> you know, uh, too slow maybe, but then suddenly they do, you know, first nothing changed and then suddenly, you know, then suddenly it changes very fast. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I mean, I think we, I mean, already know, I mean, I described you earlier um, that we've seen this sort of quite, Dramatic decline in pro-social and, and pro-environmental attitudes from the 90s to the 2010s or something like that. But you know, I think with the recent dynamic, I mean, there has been a, a, a change over the last five years. You know, Paris conference was a big thing, but now we we have you know Extinction Rebellion, we have Greta Thunberg, yeah. and, and a lot of. I mean, we have a, a different administration in the U.S. Uh, we have China that sort of. I mean, they realized that. Uh, First of all, they might be affected by climate change, but more importantly, it's sort of aligned with cleaning up the air. Mm -hmm. Forget about uh, the, the greenhouse effect, but they're often affected by by very polluted air locally, and and it's not good for them. So they 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 change their stance on that, and so I think there is a, there's a lot of positive dynamic uh, as of late. Observing 
markets for clean technology or renewable technology, it's easy to think that there's no way that this isn't the future, right? And I think that's what I'm getting from you as well. Do you feel then that companies are investing adequately or enough in those technologies or is uh, private investment uh, potentially you know, held back by certain policy factors or, or other things? In another paper, which is quite related to this one, we find that, you know, of course, if you are a company that, uh, that, that draws its value and much of its intellectual property is in what we call dirty technologies and mm-hmm. fossil polluting technologies, then you might have a certain reluctance to shift. But, but I think, again, I mean, as it comes to the automotive sector, I think, you know, there, there was, of course, the whole uh, uh, diesel scandal. And, and I think, you know, for all, for all what is what was bad about it, it probably hastened uh, the, the transition in, in, in those companies. I mean, this was basically what they thought was their way out. Oh, we have mm-hmm. to sort of, sort of clean diesels. So okay, we can carry on with the technology. But you know that, that really showed the end of the line for this. And and of course, and as I said before, I think sort of Tesla was very important, right? It was important to 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 show these companies well, you know, mm-hmm. established companies. The people want this, and he, yeah. and we are we are gonna we gonna um, get this market from you, you know, <laughs> and mm-hmm. you're gonna be left dry if, if you don't change. And of course, I mean, and I should say, I mean, uh, I, we haven't, and I haven't. It was my fault. I haven't really touched upon this. Of course, the other. Uh, the other aspect of our paper is that we also look at at competition, right? So we look right. at uh, the interaction between competition and pro-social values. And uh, you know, one worry might often be, oh, more competition is that a good thing? I mean, uh, first of all, more competition might bring down uh, prices, you know. And if it's a polluting good, then people will have more of it, mm-hmm. uh, and, and and so makes things worse. But you know, on the other hand, and and I think that is that is what we find. If if consumers value clean innovation at least a bit or a bit more, then then competition can be very good because it mm-hmm. it it offers it offers uh, uh, companies a way to differentiate uh, themselves from each other, and then they compete for that for that cleaner, better better future. I mean, uh, you know, we, we, we've seen it with. Um, with clean energy, right? So where it was some crazy hippie-based uh, <laughs> uh, companies, you know, people who who never run a business before, starting to sell, you know, renewable power, you know, twenty years ago or something like that. But now, any 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 energy company is marketing some kind of clean tariff and says, look, we have. Mm power plants and you can have more of it and then this, the same happened here you know it, it needed one uh, entrepreneur who saw that potential and 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 had the capability <laughs> to to move ahead with mm. something like and and uh, and and that sort of pushed the other ones to to follow suit and and now big companies i mean you know um, now you start to see a really really well designed uh, volkswagen and, and all, all car companies have have now the established car companies have have their product on the market, you know, and they. I mean, you won't hear, you only hear commercials for, for at least in the UK. I don't know what's happening in the US, but for you know how great the uh, the electric car is, how quiet it is, and whatever. Yeah. And and now you know new players come in. I mean, the electric car, you know, I told you it's uh, it's nicer to drive, but it's it's also you know it innovates a simpler technology. It's it's a nicer yeah. nicer. 
problem and you can, uh, there, there are sort of capabilities from, from other industries. Like, I mean, I think there was a big article about Foxconn who's making iPhones in, in the Financial Times today, you know, about how they have their sort of prototype car platform, electric car platform. The old new kids on the block like Tesla, but you have completely <laughs> new players with, with interesting yeah. capabilities, you know, and the whole way of how cars are being produced and what sort of, but it's the sort of uh, distinguishing capability that makes the sort of winning and 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 you know most successful car company that that that, that is changing. You know, it's a lot of it will be based on the software and the electronics, and, right. and of course also when it comes to autonomous driving and things like that. But we're also just you know running this whole sort of thing. I suppose one of the arguments that fossil fuel companies are making, or I'm not sure about sort of incumbent car companies, but I suppose the argument might hold is that, you know, a lot of these uh, technologies are luxury technologies or potentially, um, you know, suffer from latency issues um, related to, to, you know, the availability of electricity. Fossil fuels are really important to ensure energy security. And, you know, an event like a global pandemic might really bring that point home. And you've already alluded to the fact that, um, you know, environmental attitudes can change. They might also reverse in the other direction, which indirectly leads us to your next paper on the effect of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic on the UK economy, or more generally, or more specifically about what the UK's recovery strategy ought to be to, to harness this opportunity. So could you just briefly maybe give our listeners an overview of what the uh, main points of your proposal are here? I think, you know, one of the positive things of pandemic in a way is that in a, quite many countries, I mean, certainly in, in, in Europe, the sort of narrative emerged that okay, this is a terrible pandemic and uh, mm. the, of course the, the direct impact of the, of the pandemic is terrible, but then also because of all the lockdowns and everything, we, we all, you know, we had a massive <laughs> reduction in economic growth and we yeah, people getting unemployed and, and, and all of this. And somehow we have to get out of this as quickly as we can. Uh, you know, while this is, you know, clearly a, a good objective, people also said and people understood that, you know, okay, this is also a chance. And, you know, this showed us that, you know, there are sort of things out there that we have to prepare for. And, and maybe climate change is the next thing like that, where, I mean, of course, you know, but, but with the pandemic, why have countries like the UK and, and the US suffered so much and countries like South Korea, various East Asian countries, why have they not suffered more? Uh, and, and it was, a, it's a matter of being prepared, right? So they experienced pandemics before and, and so they were, were better prepared rather than just to, you know, we don't know, let's go on as we did before. So it, it's about this preparedness. And, and, and of course, with all the recovery packages we have, we have now uh, seen, you know, there was a big component of saying, look, we want to sort of stimulate the economy with a lot of uh, funding, but um, this cannot be just, you know, money thrown yeah. on the street. We want to also uh, use it to improve our infrastructure, maybe in preparation and, and in, <laughs> to mitigate uh, the effects. Uh, of climate change or climate change happening in the first place. So that is basically the idea or the objective. And in a way, you know, a question in, in various shapes or forms, we have asked this question in a number of previous papers before, but it, it, it crystallized this question once more, which is, you know, can, can you have both things? You know, can you have, I mean, and you alluded to it earlier, right? Can you have growth and can you do something about climate change? Or is it sort of a trade-off, you know? Right. I mean, a lot of politicians want to tell you, oh, this is, this is a chance. And now even before the pandemic, certain politicians were saying, well, you know, 
yes, you know, we should do something about climate change, but, you know, investing in these clean technologies is not great uh, to address climate change, but it's also great to, to create jobs, to create innovation, to create growth. This is a growth policy, investing in these policies. And, you know, at first you wonder, well, is this a bit of wishful thinking? But, uh, you know, it, it's theoretically possible, right? So let's put it this way. It's theoretically possible if for some reason, well, one mechanism, the mechanism we looked at, could be that uh, innovation spillovers of these technologies are particularly great. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So if this, I mean, a lot of people kept saying this, all oh, these are sort of general purpose technologies like sort of ICT, you know, clean cars and a lot of electronics. So all the electronics is ICT and IC, we know ICT is a general purpose, it's a lot of spillover. So knowledge spillovers, right? So if if uh, somebody invents the iPhone, yeah, this is a great achievement of, or, or any, you know, any sort of smartphone, we don't have to name particular brands, <laughs> then, then, then this is a great intellectual achievement. And, you know, that person will make a lot of money, but also simply then, seeing this thing, this iPhone that will inspire other people to, you know, I don't know, develop a yoga business on the iPhone, right? There's no, nothing to do with the iPhone as such or the sort of chips that go in the iPhone, but it's a sort of a, it's a kind of a, a knowledge spillover. Before that, we were just a yoga teacher who could teach, you know, 10 people. Now you can serve millions through, right. uh, through the iPhone. Um, or, you know, and one, one of my favorite knowledge spillovers is, there, there is this, uh, um, and uh, it's a clean, what we call a clean knowledge spillover. There is this innovation, this patent. We look, we work with patent data for this. Uh, there's this patent from the 80s of a wave energy plant. It's a wave energy plant, and it does what the wave energy plant is supposed to be doing, generating energy from ocean waves. And But to, to build this thing, they developed a piece of mathematics to understand the ocean waves. And then, you know, 20 years later, there's an audio encoding patent in software, so it's a you know, one is sort of classified as an uh, energy technology pattern, the other one is a software. So it's about encoding sound waves, and they use the same mathematics, and that <laughs> sort of mathematics helped them to do, you know, to store your music better on your iPhone kind of thing, essentially. Uh, so that is a sort of a, a classic knowledge spillover, you know, and um, so if, if for some reason <laughs> the knowledge spillovers and the technology that you're pushing are higher than in a technology you say, well, let's have less of these uh, gas turbines and sort of diesel vehicles and whatever. Uh, you know, if, if there is a difference, uh, then, then that, opens up, that opens up the potential for there to be more growth. And, you know, this is, you know, normally we'd think, well, if something is high potential, you know, in a market economy, people right. will do it. But of course, these are spillovers. You know, by definition, the people who invented that wave energy plant, they didn't think, well, okay, let's do this wave, let's invest, let's uh, you know, do the R&D to make this wave energy, because then we, we can maybe sell the wave energy plant let, and let's look at the returns. They didn't think, well, and also maybe 20 years later, you know, somebody, so it's, it's the same thing, right? So Newton didn't develop his mechanics right. because he thought, well, at some point, you know, somebody can use this to fly to the moon. So, so that's what we're looking at, and and what we have been finding um, for a while, to, to to some some extent, again to our surprise, is that knowledge spillovers seem to be higher uh, in 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 these clean technologies, at least on average. And so that would, in principle, open this possibility to have a, have it both, you know, have the growth. Mm. Have to have to have to have the climate uh, have, not the, not have the climate change. Um, 
and to the and and you know we've we've been looking at that. It depends a bit on uh, from country to country. Not every you know not every right. country has capabilities on the one hand, and not every you know, uh, and it's not true for all technologies in all cases. It also depends on what is around there to benefit. Because you know, as a country, well, you know, in the UK there there are a lot of spillovers emerge from the UK, or there are also spillovers that emerge from the US. They they benefit mm. people in Europe or people in Asia, and you know, while this might be great for the advancement of humanity as a whole, you know. Uh, for 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 U.S. policymakers, that's not necessarily uh, a win. You know, you need to look a little bit. Of course, you know what is sort of an area which generates um, a spillover, um, not only for the world but also for your local clientele. And so we have this sort of methodology where we look at that and we can look at very indirect linkages. You know, maybe there is a technology which inspires another innovation in the U.S. And then innovation in Brazil, and then the, the person in Brazil inspires again somebody in the UK. So that's that's great for the UK government, even though it's indirect, right? Uh, so right. we're looking at all these linkages, and, and and we find, you know, that certainly for the US, we find we did it for the US. Um, there are a number of of green technology areas where um, where green technologies come very high in the pecking order. So we compare them clean to COVID to aeronautics to car in general and all of this stuff. And, and so, yeah, you know, often things like chemical industry patterns, chemical industry innovation, pharmaceutical innovation generally is, is very high in terms of, of the spillovers it generates. But a lot of the clean technologies, uh, sort of wind energy, I mean, not, and not all. I mean, you know, for, for the UK, for instance, uh, clean cars is not really the thing. <laughs> but wind energy, Possibly and and certainly ocean related. I mean, the UK mm. definitely seems to have an advantage there in in ocean technology. You know, tide, tidal, uh, wave plants, and um, and of course they have an advantage from the location. I mean, we have a lot of ocean around right. here. But just looking at the, the inventors, there are and who could benefit from the innovation that happens in terms of further knowledge generation. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in the same industry. It could be somewhere completely else. Like like the sort of wave energy audio encoding example. You also show in that paper that the UK in general is um, has quite low R and D spending compared to other OECD countries. To further substantiate this point, that you know for the UK especially, but surely also for a lot of other OECD countries, there are really a lot of um, of these knowledge spillovers to be harnessed by public um, R and D investment of some sort. Now, of course. If you say this is especially an opportunity uh, in the uh, post-COVID recovery, for the UK specifically, is there a lot of fiscal wiggle room to really um, to do that at the current moment? I mean, every, everybody took on a, a, a lot of debt as of late, but, but at the same time, you know, interest rates are very low. So, um, mm -hmm. and then this is, you know, this is not, I mean, this is an investment, right? So uh, I think it, it's easier to justify an investment and uh, I mean at least uh, you know the the UK government says they want to increase it you're absolutely right you know they're they are certainly uh, below OECD average and and that that would be a good idea but um, you know UK government is doing a lot of silly things as of late so there's no guarantee that <laughs> that they that they're gonna do this right but said they want it and um, it can be justified too.
Also, I mean, I think the other concern, I mean, to some extent, this applies to the UK is is, is very unequal. You know, um, mm-hmm. London, of course, always stands out, even though, of course, in London, there are also a lot of poor people. Right? There are probably most, most of the poor people in the UK are in London, but as, as a region as a whole, and, and, and London is uh, far ahead. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> the area of London is probably one of the uh, richest regions in Europe. Uh, in terms of the you know, GDP per capita or something like that. But the rest, most of the rest of the UK is you know, really at, at the bottom of, of, of Europe. So, so it's quite extreme. Interestingly, what, what we found there is, you know, and one, pro, I mean, one sort of trade-off the, this could potentially raise for the UK government is that if you say, well, okay, we want to fund more R&D and we want to pump into uh, uh, money into uh, into. I mean, basically, you have, if you want to fund the people who do the R and D, you have to fund it where where they are, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if most of these people are in London, Oxford, and Cambridge, which is already at the top, right? Then you 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 increase these inequalities. Right. Um, <clears throat> interestingly, while this is true in general, you know, you just look at the number of innovators and what they do, and and etc. And you know, uh, for clean technologies, it turns out that these sort of lagging areas, you know. Yes, innovation in general is low in these areas, but if they do something, they tend to do disproportionately stuff that is sort of you know classified as clean innovation. Hmm. Uh, and it's, it's it was actually that, that in that that paper you mentioned that is that is the thing one of the maybe the, the most interesting result we found there. Um, and and of course that means well, even if you would just decide okay, what we want to do now is give money to clean inventors, it would at the same time be a sort of a, a, a what, what the government would call here a leveling up policy, where yeah. you would disproportionately spend in actually the, the more lagging regions. The big question is, is still a little bit, you know, why is that? <laughs> is yeah. We don't know uh, too well at the moment. It's something we have to look into. Um, but uh, I mean, it could be that, you know, yes, you know, some of the some of the clean technologies are sort of quite, quite high tech and quite sophisticated, you know, certainly some super duper new uh, solid state battery technology or something like that. Uh, but but a lot of it is also quite basic. I mean, how mm. do you, you know, I mean, I've been looking at these patent documents and there's stuff like, oh, how do you fix a tidal plant to the ocean floor? And <laughs> that is quite basic yeah. mechanics. And, and, and so maybe, you know, that is what these regions can do. Interestingly, there is also, you know, what we seem to be finding to some extent um, at, at the global level, you know, a, a lot of developing countries don't innovate a lot. I mean, that is kind of why they're developing countries or lagging countries, right? Um, but a lot of them, if they do something, it tends to be again, sort of clean technologies, you know? So, hmm. so that, that could, this could be sort of a general phenomenon. And I think we, need, we want to understand better why that is, but so, you know, that sort of, I mean, that's why, you know, that we called this paper somewhat provocatively, sort of win, win, win. Win, win, win. <laughs> so no, we're not, not doing win-win anymore. That is yes, doing win-win-win. Uh, so you can you, you you can address climate change, increase productivity growth overall, and and sort of do this leveling up as well. Uh, so that it's that is a possibility. It's not entirely crazy. And you also suggest um, investment in wind technology, right? So maybe you can make a pun there too. Uh, a win, 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 win. Exactly. <laughs> uh, 
But uh, the other interesting um, sort of general statistic that you find is that, um, you know, diffusion or adoption of existing technology is, is lagging quite substantially in the UK. And that's always the impression that I get when I speak to people in the clean energy field, technical experts in the field, is that the technology is enormously advanced relative to what is actually adopted at scale. Um, so I wonder, is it not maybe the case that an increased effort should be put into diffusion and, and actual adoption um, which might, you know, have some uh, level of innovation attached to it, right? Often you need to even apply for patents in many cases to, to, uh, to create technologies that make um, existing ones uh, usable in your uh, industrial context. But uh, could you speak to the diffusion and adoption issue in the UK yeah, especially? It definitely makes sense to, to have diffusion policies and um, think, you know, the, the, and, and there are policies like that in the UK. I mean, there, there have been uh, various subsidies for installing solar panels or other sort of um, heat pumps in, in, in households and things like that. But I, I think, especially in, in, in the UK, there has also not been a lot of consistency. You know, a lot of these things are started and then suddenly they, they stop it again. I mean, I think mm. that, is, that is generally a little bit of, of the problem in the UK that, that often things are a bit, you know, short-term is not, a, there's not a longer strategy. Um, I mean, I, I blame it on, on, a, on the sort of somewhat polarized political system that the UK has. But I mean, my, your, your general point is absolutely true that, uh, that adoption is required as well. It seems to be general that the case that um, a lot of the technology that exists today, you know, would get us enormously far in decarbonization or tackling a lot of uh, climate change related issues otherwise. Um, at the same time, a lot of people argue that it's largely a political problem and always has been. So I'm just um, wondering, you as a sort of practitioner of research in this field, what do you feel like going forward are the most important research areas that are related to uh, decarbonization, innovation in clean technologies, as well as the related politics of it? Well, I mean, I think for me personally, let's put it this way, I think, and then, you know, I, I'm an economist, so I'm not a, I'm not an engineer or something like that. But I mean, if you understand what drives these attitudes, and of course, a, a big problem we're having. But I mean, this this offers also research opportunity, right? Which we're pursuing at the moment. You know, the, a lot of the um, political dialogue at the moment and, and uh, opinion formation is driven by social media. So we have to understand how this works which players are acting there, what is the right regulation for that? I mean, I think that that is definitely a first order issue. Yeah, so so for me personally, I think that that is an important thing. And, and more on the, on the technical side, I mean, I think we have, we have the we have the basic technologies, right? There's renewable energy, and you know some of it is, is very intermittent. Some of it, and there's, you know, there are two things. Some of it is intermittent. Other stuff is is very predictable, but also intermittent. So, and, and um, I think it, it's figuring out how, how to put this together, right? How to hedge between different technologies, right. to, to hedge between wave. I mean, you can have a hedge between wave and, and ocean, right? And so they're, 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 you know, they come from the same source and they are phased at different lengths uh, because the wind hits faster than the waves. 
and uh, and in, to integrate that with 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 batteries or other form of storage and 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 things like like cars, right? So we need sort of this sort of overarching research into how to put this together. Mm. And and also look, I saw so one of my other projects at the moment. I can actually show you. <laughs> we we trying to get these plugs into households. Uh, and 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 the idea here is that you know, okay, it's great to to buy. A lot of storage batteries and have other storage solutions, but there is a whole hell lot of storage already there, which is not mm. really used. But right? our homes, the heat in our homes is is, is or, you know is, mm. is a storage. Our our fridges are a storage. My my laptop here that draws hundred watt, you know, it, it's the storage. It has a battery, and I can I can unplug it now from the grid, and and it won't affect uh, my usability of it at least for you know two three four hours maybe. Uh, and and so to use this, we need uh, what we need some basic technology. It can be built into you know future smart devices, but all you really need is a sort of a basic smart plug which you can buy for a couple of dollars. Mm. And so we need to get people into using this, and then we can use use this, make this potential viable. And and so things like that, I think, will will be very important. And and sort of, I, mean, I think people need to get a bit out of their silos and. Uh, right. need to come together because you know then you know you might be good at building your car but you also now need to work out you know okay that uh, that is a good car but uh, it, it's now also part of the electricity uh, balancing system so maybe maybe we need to make some adjustments to to make this happen right and we need to sort of inter completely new business models in the middle mm. of that handle then right so there's somebody who you know who realizes brings these Different bits together in, in an effective way. So I think that 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 will be key. And and of course, you know, I mean, once once we once we switched the electricity grid, I mean, you know, that that is the biggest battle. Right. Most of the stuff, apart from planes, you know, everything can run on electricity. And as as long as you make the electricity grid clean, you 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 know you you're good to go for for, for a long way. Um, maybe one final question. You mentioned that public investment, especially with an eye to knowledge or technology spillovers, is crucial, especially at this stage. At the same time, you know, governments are very concerned about how far the spillovers go. Uh, ideally, they would they would like them to be nationally bounded. In the United States, there's a huge concern of late about um, what is generally called technology transfer to um, geopolitical rivals, especially China. Your proposal for the UK um, is effectively uh, yeah, proposing some form of industrial strategy as well. At the same time, you, know, you realize that, or, or you make it very clear that you know, international research collaboration, um, knowledge spillovers across borders, you know, integration into global uh, supply chains, global value chains, global research, chains is extremely important in this whole endeavor. So how do you strike that balance? How do you reconcile, you know, industrial strategy which is generally conceived of a national strategy and this international collaboration? Well, I think uh, what I strongly support is, is an international approach to that. You know, I think that is, that is why, why I think, you know, especially the EU is, is, is a very important model, not just for Europe, but as a model to, mm. to step out of this nation state and, and, and try to coordinate things at a higher level, because there is a lot of stuff we need to coordinate at a higher level. And we, we have to have the, the strong institutions, the legal framework 
that 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 you don't get, say, you know, just at the UN level, where everything mm. is sort of on a voluntary basis. Maybe if you like it, and it's mainly, you know. So so I think the the EU has shown how you can build sort of a bigger mm. structure. Like UN, the EU has shown mm. how you can build such a bigger structure without sort of violence and in undemocratic means by sort of invading other countries, which was previously sort of kind of the way, or you know, or settling areas that supposedly are, are empty, you know, they're not, <laughs> uh, you know, but, but so, so, you know, it's doing this without building a, a violent empire by war, right? I think that is, that is, that is the model. And, and, you know, there is a lot of R&D policy now going on at a European level, and it's, it's taking into account, you know, the European perspective. And, and I think that is, that is from what we should learn. And, but at the same time, of course, you know, um, and while it's sort of very, Reassuring that, that that China is now doing all of these investments, it's of course a problem that um, that they are not a democracy, uh, that they you know they are probably committing uh, genocide as we speak, and um, so we and and of course it's particularly I think it's it's maybe not so uh, concerning when it comes say to to solar panels. You know if they do all the investment. And uh, they, they give some breakthroughs, and we can see these breakthroughs and then implement them. That's fine. I think it's probably more concerning if they make big advances, say in, in quantum computing or something like that, right? And and uh, internet security, where where we'll have a hard time to to catch up, and we might then be exposed to that. So I think, uh, you know, for for reasons like that, I think it's good to to think of um, building up sort of. Right national, you know, making sure we, we keep, I mean, and it happened before, right? So, I mean, uh, I, I mean, again, Europe sort of, you know, pushed very much aeronautics industry for that reason, for, for more sort of military security purposes. And, and, and I think that's, and I mean, you know, I think to some extent, the same applies with the US, right? So I think it wouldn't mm. be the worst idea if, say, uh, I don't know, the EU created something like a sort of social media platform with with a clear uh, uh, public purpose charter, you know, a bit like uh, like the BBC and public broadcast yeah. or something like that. Because, I mean, th that is essentially a lot of the trouble uh, mm. you have. You know, these are American companies. They, they you know, have very good, very well-oiled lobby uh, interests in, 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 the, in the US. And, uh, but, you know, basically Facebook destroyed uh, Europe. I mean, that's basically what happened, right? I mean, not not deliberately. I mean, it was, of course, a lot of Russian propaganda and, and other people that, but I, Facebook clearly, <laughs> clearly had a big part to play. I don't think it would have happened without Facebook, um, the, the breakup of, of the EU, so. Yeah, I always wonder why there hasn't been such a European social media company that uh, tries to compete. Who knows what's going on there? But yeah. It might still happen. Yeah, keep, who knows? Keep talking about it. Ralph Martin, thank you so much. It was fun. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to the Political Economy Forum podcast. Please feel free to listen to our other episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You might also like our special podcast on election security, Neither Free Nor Fair, which is hosted by Professor James Long and is also available on all major platforms. Our podcasts are produced by Morgan Wack and myself, Nicholas Wichdok. Our theme music was created by Ted Long. Please feel free to leave a review as we're curious about your feedback. And if you have any questions, suggestions, or concerns, 
please contact uwpoliticaleconomy at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.